Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where even though it's been six goddamn years already, we still haven't flown. Today, somebody save us, because we're covering Smallville, a Cortex RPG based on a classic series that helped pave the way for the soapy superheroes the CW slings. Also a sex cult. It's System Mastery! Welcome back to System Mastery. It's me, your intrepid cub reporter host, Jeff. And joined, as always, by my scrappy photographer sidekick, Johnny Olson. Hey, John, how you doing? Johnny Olson. That's you. You, you know, die in every version of the story. <laughs> the interesting thing is that Jimmy Olsen dies in this uh, show in Smallville. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But... After he dies, they're like, oh, he has a little brother, James Olsen. And I'm like, then what the fuck was Jimmy short for? I mean, did that already happen in Supergirl as well, where they introduced a character named James Olsen? And then we're like, uh, we're going to make him individual ante or something and we'll introduce an additional Olsen. I mean, they had Jimmy Olsen, like the actual Superman's friend, Jimmy Olsen, show up. And then he became, I want to say, Guardian? Yeah, he's Guardian. Guardian. He's got the shield and the helmet. Yeah. <laughs> The planet needs a sourdough jack. David Gaddian. <laughs> uh, I know that show's done that a few times as well. But then again, I think that's just sort of a, a symptom of these soap opera-y superhero shows is you you're, you're too daring at the very beginning. So you're afraid to really introduce the character. And then by the end of the run of the show, you're like, fuck it. Just put Stargirl in there. <laughs> yeah, I... Okay, so I watched all of smallville like mm -hmm. all 10 seasons and god damn that show got really really bad pretty early <laughs> <laughs> i thought it started bad wasn't it one of the shows that kind of didn't hit its stride for a while because like i was saying it was kind of afraid to do the fucking superman things well i mean in <sighs> guys we're going to talk about smallville the show instead of the game real quick okay so and by real quick, we mean for the first 45 minutes. Yes, indeed. So the first season of Smallville was very much, uh, it seemed like they wanted to go ahead and do like, oh, these are the stories of Clark Kent before any Superman stuff. So there were no known villains outside of Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. uh, like it was a villain of the week show you didn't yeah. have like oh you know our main villain for this season is whatever and then occasionally things pop up i mean i get that because what's the template that they had to build on at the time pretty much just buffy yeah and you can see a lot of the the buffy influence in there mm -hmm. uh but also robert singer was very involved in that and he went on to go on to supernatural and he that guy took... likes working on one thing for a long time. Oh, yeah. Well, also, uh, season four had Lana Lang dating Dean from Supernatural. So <laughs> uh, <sighs> I remember when Supernatural came out, I was like, oh, hey, it's that teacher guy from Smallville. See, I remember reading some variation on the early AV club when Smallville was live because I wasn't watching it. Uh, but I remember... 
mostly that the articles or like the reviews of the show were just disappointed week after week because they'd be like, well, they introduced Mixiaz Spitlick and he's a angsty Russian high school student who doesn't know he has reality warping powers. Yeah, the main issue is, at least in season one and a bit in season two, when you would introduce someone, it was like, what is this? Uh, it's a angry coach and he can create fire. Like, okay, cool. That's not any character that it's normally based on. It's just, you know, we gave a random person at this school a random power. Great. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they started introducing other things and you're like, oh, now we have like parasite and live wire and a whole bunch of other things you're like yeah but you're still, still making them be in this show which means they have to be like high school students yeah and they never quite pull the trigger like i mean like i said i haven't really watched i watched maybe seasons five and six of this show i think is right where i'm about at and i only read that they like oh there's one episode with helgramite in it and he's a angry high school student who kind of has an evil bug form that you never really get to see <laughs> because they were for a long time very afraid to pull the trigger and just be like uh fuck it this guy's gentleman ghost yeah you just very rarely got that except once they decided all right we're allowed to put something else in here like i think the very first one was they introduced the flash kind of uh in an episode and he was the only other hero they had introduced and one of the very few named people they had ever introduced and even then they they couldn't quite pull the trigger could they well they couldn't make it barry so they were just like it's bart allen he's impulse because we were still very gun shy about saying that the flash is on this show i mean it makes i do kind of wonder if that's because of contract rights with the john wesley ship 90s flash show uh, I, I think it was they were it. still gun shy because after they did that, the next season they're like, "Fuck it, here's Aquaman and Cyborg and Green Arrow and <laughs> Black Canary." And they're just like, "Fuck it, here's everyone. We don't care anymore." Yeah, Bart Allen was the. I, I still feel like that must have been an interesting discussion to be on the wall, uh, like a fly on the wall for, where they were like, "Well, we want to put the Flash in this show. Who's the Flash?" Oh, Barry Allen is the Flash. Uh, too obvious. We we can't use his name. We'll get we'll probably get in trouble with DC. Is there like a the script says it should be a kid? Is there like a kid one? Yeah, there's Kid Flash. Okay, that's too obvious. <laughs> Who's the yeah. rarest Flash? <laughs> yeah, there's a point in the episode where because during the show, uh, before Clark gets to him, he's just using his super speed to be a criminal. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's got a shitload of money and just hanging out in some swanky hotel and Clark breaks in there and finds like a bag with a whole shitload of money and fake IDs and all the fake IDs are like Barry Allen, Wally West, Jay Garrick. Yeah. Yeah. Eobard Thawne. Well, that's mm. a, that doesn't seem like a very useful one. Neither of those are names. <laughs> if you showed someone a ID and you're like, my name's Eobard Thawne, they'd be like, what? Oh, yeah. It's uh, my family's from the 24th century. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to be disrespectful to time traveler. Yeah, check your current time privilege. Uh, so the show, the the game to get to drag around to the game is in some variation of the Cortex engine. I actually, I, I think there's like three or or so. Well, there's major... Cortex and Cortex Plus, and I and think then... there's also Cortex Prime. Yeah, and I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is Cortex Plus. Okay. I don't know uh, what it is plus, 
but it is plussed. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm looking at the logo right now because this was made in association with DC, the mm. CW, and something called N. Margaret Weiss Productions, which must have been behind Smallville. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Cortex Plus. Now, John, I don't know about you. I've only read one other game that used the Cortex engine. Uh, and that was it, that game hasn't even come out yet. It's the Sentinels role-playing game. Uh, which so so when I picked this up and was like, oh, it's Cortex Engine. I should be up to speed. I've read and heavily internalized the rules of a Cortex game before, and I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, you're like, okay, you uh, you've set yourself up very differently from a normal game, which is I like in that they were playing towards the fact that. Smallville is very soap opera y in that oh, yeah. you're like, oh, you don't have like these are my skills and these are my stats. You're like, you have relationships, <laughs> you have your core values, like these are your dice that you're rolling rather than like heat vision, which you also have. <laughs> yeah. Uh ultimately the the thing I was presented with upon opening this game and starting to read how it plays is the first thing you should do is create the season of television that you're about to recreate. And that takes place by drawing one of those giant arrows connecting box grid maps that usually only crazy people do. Yeah. There, you see the example of like, well, here's what five people playing this game and going through the full character creation setup will look like and it basically looks like someone's conspiracy theory trying to say that like george bush walked on the moon but the moon is fake and you're like okay i don't know what's going on he walked on the fake moon yeah it's this huge web of connections which ultimately once you're done building the web of connections at the same time you've just been writing it down as like information that's on your basic character sheet so you could just get rid of that thing this giant web of unreadable oblique reference where, where every single thing has to be defined by its relationship to every single other thing on this huge grid. Oh yeah. And you know, you get baseline. The system is you're going to have dice that you pull to roll in a pool. And then you're going to take the two highest atom together. And that's your result. But yeah, your, yeah. your pool is based on several different things. And so you can have something like, okay, uh, during character creation, I decided I have a very strong connection to, let's say, the Fortress of Solitude. So mm -hmm. I've got like a D10, because the game goes D4 to D12. I've got a D10 in my location relationship to the Fortress of Solitude. So if I'm there, or I'm trying to like defend it or get to it or something, I can roll that D10 in my pool. Yeah, and if you're playing as Clark Kent, for example, you'll you'll have a square on the on the web that represents yourself because you're you're a, a lead, and leads get squares. So you'll write down a square, and you'll you'll write Clark Kent in it, and then you'll put a, I think locations or diamonds. Yes. So so you'll put a diamond down. You'll say Fortress of Solitude, and then you'll draw a line from yourself, uh, and then make it an arrow pointing at the Fortress of Solitude, and along that line you will write something like I don't know a piece of my heritage or I feel safe here. Yeah. And so that gives you sort of a baseline of how you use that. The worst part about this whole chart that you write down, like squares and circles and diamonds and put lines between is there are parts during the creation of this where you will then have to be like, oh, I scratch out the line between me and this thing because I don't care now that I'm in this part of character creation, and then I'm going to turn that line into a line going over here and change what it is. 
Yeah, and you can do that to other people, and it can happen to you, and you can do it to yourself. I mean, ultimately, when you first look at what they call the pathway chart, which is more or less the character creation system, it's similar to, at least for me, other the other Cortex system I've read, where I'm like, oh, I get it. You're choosing from five potential origins, and each one gives you some things you do, and then you go down the level to, the, to what your youth was like, and it gives you some things you can do. Um, but you're also, each time you do th- those things you can do are largely draw boxes on a chart, write down a name in them, and then draw arrows all over the place. Yeah. And the other Cortex system I've read had four layers to this, where it was like your origin, your heritage, your your power relationship, and your the way that you interact as a hero, where this one has something like nine. Yeah, because you have the option in the game of either playing sort of a new novice character, or you can play a veteran hero, and if you play a veteran hero, you end up going much farther on the pathway system. So normally, uh, your pathway, you start out and you're like, all right, what's your origin? And depending on what origin you pick, you can pick from three different uh, things that you were in your youth. And depending on what you pick there, you can pick a focus in life and so on. And then you yeah. get to something called the life-changing event. And if you are a new character you just sort of figure out what your life-changing event is and you're done if you're Mm -hmm. a veteran you then go on and do like four more steps after the life-changing event because you're like oh that was the start of my hero career or whatever and then this is what i've been doing since then now that is in the the very very long example of character creation they do decide to make veteran characters as well they should because this book came out and is largely focused on the ninth of ten seasons of Smallville. Yes, there is a bunch of uh, characters that they're like, oh, uh, all our sample players are going to be playing the main leads from the show. Which is why this book is very heavy on Zod. And even Tess though Mercer. He, he, even though Zod is only just the villain for season nine and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know Tess Mercer sticks around from season 10 and is also present from like seven onwards or something, but it feels weird to have such a strong focus on the character. You have six leads in their example, and they're playing as Clark Kent, Oliver Queen, Chloe, uh, Lois Lane, Tess Mercer, and Zod. Because yes. you play as the heroes and the villains indiscriminately. It, it's not a game where the, the DM is mostly just there to serve as a referee, not as a storyteller. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, in the season... Zod was basically sort of the same way that Lex Luthor was in early uh, Smallville seasons, where it was like, he can be antagonistic, but Clark is trying to be his friend, and he doesn't really have any powers yet. Yeah, everything, I've never seen this the ninth season of Smallville, so everything I read about it was like, what? And then I kind of go, oh, you know what? I have watched Legends of Tomorrow, so none of this is going to be that weird to me. Yeah, where it's, it's just, like Zod isn't Zod, it's a clone of Zod. And the clone was made using blue kryptonite, which strips powers. So all of these citizens of Kandor get cloned, but none of them can be uh, like Superman powered. Yeah. And meanwhile, all the characters that I actually appreciated from this show, because I only watched a few seasons of it, are gone. There's no Lana Lang. Michael Rosenbaum's not here. There's no mention of John Glover. I'm sorry, Lex Luthor and the Lionel Lionel Luthor. Luthor. Yeah. uh, There's there's not even uh, Supergirl because... Uh, the explanations for why Lana and Supergirl aren't there are amazing. Yeah. Uh, apparently Lana got an Iron Man suit that emits radiation, so she has to go off and fight crime somewhere else. 
And the, <laughs> the show really decided at certain points where they were like, oh, we're just, we got to get rid of someone. You're gone. And we're going mean, to give you the dumbest possible reason to leave. I mean, in general, my my belief about shows like this, and this is based on the one of these shows that I actually have watched from cover to cover, which is Gotham, uh, is that they reward loyalty. That, that I don't think Lana Lang was written off this show. I think she went off to go do Legend of Chun-Li, Street Fighter, or whatever the, that movie was <laughs> called. And and, and uh, she quit, and they killed her in response. Or not killed her, but wrote her off the show. But, you know, in Gotham, you had a guy who was just like a generic thug. And then over the course of his generic thug life, he got a hammer hand. He killed Azriel. He became Solomon Grundy. And it was just that he never quit. Huh. He just kept showing up for work. And they were like, fine, here, put on this costume. You're this guy now. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, it was. It's very interesting. I've actually gone back and I've been rewatching season one since we started reading this book. And the Lana's boyfriend is in like the first season as not quite a main character, but always there. He gets in the title, uh, like run through. He gets his own picture and name, and then season two rolls around and he is just gone. Yeah, They're there's like, also oh, no mention. Oh, he's in the Marines anyway. Bye. <laughs> there's also no mention anywhere I can find in the book of the character Pete, who I know was was a thing in the first couple of seasons and then just quit the show. Yeah, he just left and came back for one episode later on. Mm-hmm. So you know. Eh. Okay, so there are six core values that you assign dice to at the start of the game. Uh. The six core values represent the kind of ways in which you're going to interact with the world, and I am trying to find them, but unfortunately I'm on the pathway page still for a reason. So, John, what are the six core values? Go. Okay, so your six core values that you're going to be putting dice into are duty, <laughs> duty, uh, <laughs> duty, glory, justice, mm. love, power, and truth. And this is how you value those. So even though Clark Kent is the most powerful person in the show his power die rating is like a d4 because he doesn't actually want power he just uses power so yeah, his actually, power his, is power corrupts yeah his power is a d6 his only d4 is truth which i found i mean they had to give him a low rating somewhere well because but, he's constantly lying to everyone on that show because he can't reveal is, who he is I felt like they, they had to be honest to themselves and be like, look, this is Smallville. No one ever tells the truth to anyone unless they're cornered. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you it's start especially with a D4 bad. Truth. It's especially bad with Clark in the show because everyone's like, hey, Clark, I'm going to confront you specifically about a thing. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and uh, I mean, assumedly, it's also going to be bad for Lex and Lionel and Tess because they're all, all of them are constantly scheming all the time. Yeah. But. At least with them, occasionally you'll corner them and be like, okay, yeah, I was scheming. You got me. <laughs> and then and then even characters like Chloe are like, well, I have to keep Clark's secret all the time, so I guess I can't tell the truth about that. Yeah, but that's not till later. Because normally he doesn't tell anyone, like, at all. That's true. He's that's true. he's not like Barry Allen, who is the Flash. I, I, I had recently learned that Barry Allen was the Flash because Barry Allen came by and told me. Yeah, he was... <laughs> knocked on the door was like hey i'm going door to door letting people know that i'm the flash so uh is your is your mom home that show was this show smallville is so much more controlled about that than i mean granted by the time we're watching it in season nine it's like yeah everybody knows who gives a shit but they went a lot longer than the flash show did oh yeah 
No. I remember he the doesn't Flash even that. tell like Pete, I think, is the first one of his friends that finds out. And that's like season three. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I remember on the Flash show, there was that episode where they were setting up the legends. So they caught Hawkman, who they no one knew anything about him at all. They just caught a flying guy with a mace. And Flash walked in and, and took his mask off because he was like, that guy's obviously a superhero. Who cares? <laughs> who, who gives a shit? I'm, fl- I'm Barry Allen. Here's, Hi, Barry here's, Allen. Here's, here's my card. This just uh, says Barry Allen is the Flash on it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Get, here's, here's 20 more copies. Hand them around. <laughs> so you get your ratings in those. I believe there's an array where you're picking a set number each of D4s, D10s, D6s, and D8s. Well, you've got... Uh, everything is essentially in your pathway Mm -hmm. so you'll be like oh in this pathway you can get a a higher rating in some value or get a whatever yeah it doesn't matter what you start all your values are start at d4 and then as you uh as you go up the chart you'll get opportunities to raise the values um which you'll do by moving them up it's called it upsizing but it's moving a die from like a d4 to a d6 that kind of thing yeah uh, so, for example, let's see, if we were walking through character creation, we start as ordinary, and you, all your values are a D4. You raise one value. You choose love or justice. Uh, you choose a distinction, which is a power thing we'll get to later. Um, a relationship, which is just going to be a line you draw from, from your box to someone else's box. Mm-hmm. And you're going to indicate what that relationship is, and you're going to assign a D4 rating to it because you haven't gotten a chance to upsize it yet. And then you're going to upsize a relationship, an asset, or a resource. Woo! Yep. And everything pretty much works the same way. You buy, you uh, Whenever you get a chance, you upsize the die in it to increase both its relevance to your character as a plot element and also to increase your effectiveness when, when utilizing that plot element over the course of the story. Mm-hmm. Notably, this is something I actually really liked about this engine. Uh, if you have something at D4, uh, because you don't want to roll things at D4, You're, you have a one in four chance of getting a critical failure that helps the the DM of the game later. The DM, by the way, is called the Watchtower, which is yeah. irritating. Um, hmm, hmm. But you, if you have a D4, you're, it's not. It's interesting because if you don't have a D4 in something, then you have no skill in it at all. Yeah. But if you have a D4 in something, you are actively bad at it, and it's because you want to have the fact that you were bad at that thing be relevant to your character's story. Yes. Now, there's also a few things that like at least uh, powers-wise or any of your assets or essentially anything that isn't your own values or relationship, mm-hmm. uh, you get a power at D4, D8, and D12 levels. So at yes. least, like if you've got D4, uh, let's say like super speed vision or something, or, yeah. yeah, you're like, okay, you know, I I have the ability to use this to do something, like, it's not just that I shoot out, you know, like a fairly warm heat and it doesn't do anything. It's just that you're <laughs> not as controlled at it or good at it as you could be. Well, actually, for some of those, especially in abilities, uh, which is more like kind of skills and things that make your character unique but because of training or, or uh, like just because of who you are. The D4 rank ability that you gain is a negative that you can throw it on yourself in exchange for a plot point to you to do something later. Yeah. So, for example, if you have the gearhead ability, which is like, oh, I'm very good with machines, then the D4 rank power you have is gain a plot point if you allow yourself to be distracted by an interesting machine. Yeah, the D4 
can either come with like spend a plot point to sort of get around the fact that you suck or play into the fact that you suck and be like, oh, you have to do something because you're into this and we'll give you a plot point to use later on. And plot points can be used for a lot of stuff. Plus, those D4 abilities don't get go away even when you're higher level. So if you're like, oh, I'm Oliver Queen and I have D12 and Gearhead because I build all my own equipment, but I still will find myself being like, ooh, a shiny new thing. And I'm going to I'm gonna let the, the thugs escape because I saw a cool car. Hmm. Hmm. You can always do that. You can always kind of play into your character's weaknesses, which is nice because these characters still have them, even though they've been around for a long time. Oliver Queen, for example, in this one, looks like if a Staten Island leprechaun was into the club scene. <laughs> yeah, they. there is a reason that I am very glad that when they made Arrow, they were originally like, maybe we'll just spin off the Smallville Green Arrow and have this guy go be it. I'm like, please don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the guy is a perfectly fine actor and would have been okay with the stubble and the hood and everything that Green Arrow did, or the Arrow did, excuse me. But in this show, he he's dressed in like leprechaun raver wear, and they made him even more of a straight up murderer than Ollie is in the beginning of Arrow. Yeah, it's it's real weird. It's Man. weird to me that they they keep using Green Arrow as their this is the murder guy who has to learn not to be the murder guy character. Well. There's so many of those in DC. I mean, it's mostly because they're like, well, we need someone with some name recognition. Mm -hmm. And if we go with basically anyone else, it'll seem weird. Like, you can't make Batman or Superman a murder guy. I mean, the obvious choice is anyone from the Suicide Squad. You you get a dead shot in there. I assume he's probably tied up with Batman's rights, though. Well, also, that's a villain, not a hero. Eh... Yes. He's a, sui- he's a Suicide Squad guy. Yeah, and Suicide Squad was not something they were ever going to take a chance on in, like, the early 2000s. That's true. But they mentioned Suicide Squad rel- uh, uh, relatively commonly throughout this book, so I have to assume it was developed at one point in the show. Uh, well... There's again, Waller. There's even again, a picture of I, Waller. Yeah, I was gonna say, again, Season 9 was really, hey, here's Checkmate and Amanda Waller. And some guy named Icicle, because I assume that any more well-known... F- freezy villain was was off the table <laughs> like eh, we've already had two ice guys on this show <laughs> i mean Cl- clark was more or less an ice guy on this show because he never flew and he didn't like using super strength or costumes so he used ice to stop people in their tracks and super speed to not be seen and that might as well have been his powers i mean the fact that he never flew was just sort of oh you're like if the flash was more powerful in this show yeah yeah and, and i my, my understanding is that by the end of the show that was a tom welling choice that he was like no this character will never fly i don't want to fly as this character no i mean that was essentially the stated goal at the beginning they were like we have two things that we will not do one he does not get in the suit two he does not fly right and then for both of those we're going to introduce kara Zorel, who does both and then leaves Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, he gets into, like, the gothy version of the suit in that he just sort of wears an all-black outfit with a silver version of the symbol on his chest. Why, I'll have you know that that suit isn't gothy at all. It's designed to maximize his absorption of yellow sun energy. Oh, shoot, I'm talking about this. Why am I talking about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you make your way through the first five origin choices 
uh, as, or sorry, origin is the first of the five of the first five pathway choices. And all of this is done as a group. So you're going around the table and you'll find out how this works when we do a bonus content. If you're, if you're a member of our, our Patreon, uh, you, you go back and forth at each level, uh, kind of having it as a conversation, like, oh, I feel like it's important that my relationship with Chloe is X, and 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 then if she's going to draw a line back my direction, then it should be like this, and we'll, we're going to work this out together. Uh, each one has a mechanic where if you're the level that you choose on one line of the origin allows you three choices on the next line of the origin uh, to keep things. It does actually kind of make a relevant sort of sense as you're making your way down. However, life changing event throws that out the window. Anyone's life-changing event can be any random thing, and it is also the level at which you start erasing shit. Yeah, because, you know, if you start out and your origin is like, oh, I was rich, then you get to pick, as your youth, either you were a jock, average, or a paragon, you cannot pick to be an outsider or a geek, which is weird that you can't be a rich geek or a rich outsider, but whatever. Oh, come on, John. It's 2001 when this show started. Uh, geeks or, or rich people were cool jocks. <laughs> Sexy cool jocks. Paragon jocks. Or very average. I'm a mm -hmm. rich average person. <laughs> and, and of course, in certain characters, they don't get their life-changing event until years after the show. Like, say, for example, Allison Mack. Mm, mm, mm. I think uh, that's as far as we'll go on that joke. Yep. Um, <laughs> the... The origin, you go through youth origin, focus and road and then life changing event. And honestly, they make sense. They they do end up with a kind of beginning hero character, whether you're a hero side character like your Chloe's or your, your Lois Lane's, or if you're going to be a budding hero who actually has superpowers. Beyond that, you go down the line of priority, uh, modus operandi, motivation and identity. Yeah, because at I that point, it... you're really getting into this is what I do all the time. I did find it interesting that identity is behind the line because identity doesn't really it's not like you're choosing your superhero identity that the options are the sidekick, the foil, the rebel, the specialist or the hero. And I feel like all of those are archetypes that you'll find in, in new heroes as well. You know, they're defined by the rebellion or by their their decision to be upstanding. So yeah, but this I, is really, I mean, closely tied into the what you are in Smallville, the show. That yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Especially, I, I like the the uh, a lot of this book is description of play, and honestly, it's exceedingly essential because the terminology of this cortex system is a little hard to follow. So the the examples of of uh, character creation are super important, at least to me. Yeah, um, and I I mean, I was saying this when we were first looking at the book. This book is, I want to say, about fifty percent in character, like going through things. And maybe another 25% just let me tell you about Smallville. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I now know more about Smallville than I ever did or wanted to. Mm -hmm. But there's all these jokes in the character creation thing where like, they get to the identity step and the player who's going to be playing Zod jokes uh, about me making the hero. But obviously he's going to make the foil. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I get it, though. If you wanted to make the hero, it's because to his own character, he is doing noble shit. Well, I mean, the big thing is what you get out of picking that uh yeah if you make the if you make the foil you get a to upgrade a distinction upgrade a relationship or add a new extra and add a relationship add a uh, asset or resource if you play the hero you get a brand new ability it's one of the rare ways to get one yeah and since uh since that version of zod is not super powered exactly yeah because usually the foil in smallville was like lex or lionel or whatever it usually wasn't someone who's like 
I'm going to get into a punch match with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So the other thing I found amusing is as you make your way through this section about how to build stuff, it keeps showing you what the grid looks like now. And at the beginning, it just looks like, you know, a little little circle. The The second one is like an arcane demon summoning web. Oh, yeah. It just looks like someone fucked up making a pentagram. It, it goes on like this for a long time. I, I, my favorite bit of all these examples is one of the webs shows an increasingly complex relationship system where it shows Lex Luthor's relationship to the teen-friendly coffee hangout in Smallville. Yeah. Uh, the Talon, which I remember enough that there were points at which, like, Lana owned it, and then Lex owned it, and then Lana owned it and let Lex manage it, or Lex owned it and let Lana manage it, and blah, blah, blah. It was like a big deal. Who owned this fucking coffee house? Well, like, uh, when it started, it was... <sighs> The Talon was a movie theater, and then it was going to get shut down, but Lana wanted to save it, so she was like, Lex, you bought the Talon, can I turn it into a coffee shop? And he was like, okay, I guess. And it was just yeah. a whole mess. Yeah, and that leads to when someone, the person, uh, Lex Luthor is not a character in this, because Michael Rosenbaum had long since left the show, but he is a circle, which is a featured player, because everyone has important relationships to Lex Luthor and his his lasting influence on the story of the show. Well, uh, I mean, technically, he's a double circle, because a circle is an extra, and a double circle is a feature. Yeah, he's a feature. Um, so the Chloe character added the Talon. There's no Lana character in, in this system, so, so the fact that Lana owned or operated the Talon is not relevant, but Chloe has uh, has uh, uh still has her house that is over the coffee shop the talon so she lives over it so so the chloe player was like okay well i will add a diamond for a location and make it the talon and then i'll draw a line that says you know i live over it and then someone was like oh it's important for us to note that lex luther is the owner of that talon so i'll draw a line from the lex luther feature that says owner of and then in the description another player was like well let's make sure to reinforce that i'll draw an arrow from the talon to Lex Luthor, which says it was bought by Lex Luthor. <laughs> and I was like, you guys are trying too hard. No one cares about this degree of diffi uh, or of uh, distinction. It's not like anyone was like, oh, the Talon is owned by Lex Luthor. I wonder if he built it with his own two hands. <laughs> or maybe he won it, won it in some sort of lottery system. Yes, he was gifted the Talon. He discovered it in an undersea treasure chest and then put it in Smallville. <laughs> but, uh... It's just, it's unnecessary. Basically, it shows that there's a point at which these influence grids are getting a, a little much. Yeah, there's just so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And you put so many arrows in between things. And there are a lot of times where you can just add a reciprocal arrow, even though it's not part of the character creation thing. So you can be like, oh... Uh, character creation says I can, you know, make a new extra and establish my relationship. But also, when I establish my relationship with it, someone else can just say, I'm going to establish their relationship with you for free. Yeah, and there's even on that same grid, for example, there's a line between Chloe and the Daily Planet with nothing on it and no arrow. Hmm, hmm, hmm. It's just like, I don't know, these two are connected, I guess. Don't worry about it. It's probably a D4. <laughs> But it is important to note, for example, that Lex Luthor owns Luthor Corp. Like, duh. I mean, he's Lex Luthor. Well, I and, mean, Lionel Luthor owned it originally, so. Yeah, but but Lionel Luthor is not on this grid at all. There's no. no there's an, There's even an unfeatured circle for Lionel. Which is weird, because he was 
way more important in the later seasons. Yeah, the characters they chose to highlight or not highlight are very unusual. I mean, Tess Mercer gets so much attention in this book, and I kept thinking, is Tess Mercer like a like an adaptation of the Tess Mocker name from like that assistant in Superman 2? Yeah, it's that plus Mercy, so Tess Mercer. Mm-hmm, becomes a combination of Mercy Graves and Tess Mocker. Yeah. And, and realistically, though, she's Lena Luthor. Yeah, it's man. They just <laughs> spaghetti at the wall. There's too. She's too many things. It was late seasons. They were just like, fuck it, whatever. I mean, you see this in every one of those CW shows where they sow the seeds, and then when they harvest them, they aren't what they thought they planted. Yeah. Like for example, when they when they were like, oh, Daniel Panabaker, we're gonna make you Caitlin Snow so that you're secretly Killer Frost, but we're never gonna really, you know, deal with that. And then they do, and it's like, but she's a team player. We don't want to make her a villain so that she can't be on the show all the time. Uh, we'll make Killer Frost a good guy. Yeah, and I mean, I understand why they put Tess in the show in just that that they were like, well, we want to have we want to have a rich person that isn't just evil. Yeah, so, she was a bit more foily than the yeah, other two. She was more like, oh, I'm I'm trying to do good, but also I'm you know I've got fucked up principles or whatever so i'm like season one lex rather than season four lex well she's basically the same lena character as is currently on supergirl she wants to do good things but because of her luther training and instinct she wants to do good things by exerting rigorous control over her surroundings yes she's like oh i built a weird doomsday device because i think this will be a good idea yeah or i micro tripped a bunch of villains because that way i can force them to act as heroes yeah where, you know, you're like, oh, I get it. You want heroes, but your your weird worldview is making you do villain shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's about, I don't know what, like a quarter of character creation that we've talked about in the first 40 minutes so far? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's just you go through this thing, you keep putting connections, and when you get to the end, you're going to have every time you, you know stepped up a die you'll have that you'll have whatever your relationships are because they'll all be connected it is worth noting i don't know that we said you have to start the game with a connection to every other player yes yeah and and the book is very much about playing a tv season and about each session being a tv episode so for they'll it advises the watchtower the, the the gm of the game that you should pick relationships between the leads to focus on in each episode. You may not be able to get all of them, especially not if you've got like six players, but you should pick them and know that you're going to be telling stories about, oh, the relationship between Clark and Oliver is going to be super relevant in this episode. Yeah, and the one of the things I appreciate is this has, uh, instead of like hit points, it has stress. Uh, yeah, it has multiple stress tracks. And stress can be, you know, you have one of the tracks of stress that is injured. So you could be, if you are in a fight, you could start getting uh, increased die levels in your injured stress track. But again, you've got stuff that's like insecure, afraid, angry. So, you know, it can have a thing where you've got stuff in one of these shows where like, oh, uh, like, instead of the main villain like actually attacking say chloe he takes her hostage and then starts increasing her afraid track yeah absolutely and the nice thing about that is that 
It turns your health into your uh, stress tracks, rather, into a resource for the other person you are playing in a scene with, or however many other people there are on the scene, as opposed to just a a race a spiral towards zero measure. Uh, the the higher your stress goes, for example, if you keep getting increasingly beat up, other people are going to roll add your injured stress die to their roles because they're taking advantage of your injuries. Exactly, and it's the same thing for everything. So yeah. if I been super pissed off and i've got a d10 out of you know d4 to d12 in angry then i've been showing that i like my temper is frayed and it's much easier to needle that and use it against someone so when you're trying to do something that would make someone angry you can be like great you've got a d10 and angry i'm gonna take your d10 and add it to my pool so that I've got more stuff that I'm rolling to try and get the two highest uh, things. Yeah. So it ends and then up are... being a, an advantage in that. Yeah, so there's not really like a way to get beaten unconscious or anything like that in this game. Uh, being beaten unconscious, being driven to hel- helplessness to the point where you can no longer participate in a debate, these are choices that you make as the player as opposed to things that are imposed on you by the game engine. Uh, there are moments well, where you are forced to give in uh, to to your injuries or or uh, give in to hopelessness or fear. Uh, what I mean, it means is, is that you're not. There is being go, stressed out of the scene. Yeah, they're stressed out. Of, well, that's basically what I'm describing is being stressed out of the scene. You can be, it can be forced on you. You're right, um, but you can you can basically if that happens, you're no longer in the scene. But it isn't necessarily that you got murdered or knocked unconscious. You you as the player could decide what's forcing you out of the scene. The important thing is that it did happen. Yeah, again, if I had, a like, say, a D12 in Angry, and someone manages to get another level in Angry on me, they can go, all right, you're stressed out, and it's up to you what happens. But you'll probably be like, I get so pissed off, I storm out. And you're yeah. out for the scene... But it doesn't mean like, oh, you lost all your hit points and angry and now you're dead. I really appreciate the description of how to run stressed out. It's like if you're in question as to how to do it in in all situations, the easiest thing to do is have the character look pensively out the window <laughs> and then just cut to the next scene. And I was like, oh, you guys really did watch this show. <laughs> Welcome to the CW, baby. <laughs> It's the CW, where everything is resolved on walks, but nothing is ever actually resolved. <laughs> yes, I mean, sir. That was how I felt watching. I know this happened a lot on Smallville, too, because I had my own, I have my unique feeling about what Smallville was, which is anyone on Smallville is willing to take a 45-minute drive to say one sentence to another person, even though they have phones. <laughs> it's true. Because you have all these... You have all these episodes where Lana drives out to the Kent farm and you're like, dude, you're in Kansas. These farms aren't next. I mean, they're even if they're next door, they're not really next door. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Lana is for most of it literally next door to the Kent farm. But even then, uh, Clark has a like telescope that he has to use to see Lana from his barn. Yeah. It, it, but she'll drive over there to be like, Clark, I feel like you've been dishonest. Goodbye. And then she'll <laughs> drive away again. And that happens. Two or three times an episode. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's also a small town. Spotty cell (laughs) phones. You know? That's what it's got to be. Spotty cell reception. Obviously. Where he's on the flash, it's always, hey, can I talk to you privately? That that line shows up 15 times an episode. And I I feel like there's got to be a point where uh, 
where Cisco or someone on the show is like, why do you keep taking people out of the room, Barry? I, I, I feel like you're cutting me out of a lot of important conversations. <laughs> it's important you don't know this, though, so please, please leave. <laughs> he could never know my dark secret that I'm slowly losing my powers. <laughs> it's very important for him to know that, Barry. <laughs> He's your science guy. Uh, now, the one uh, good thing about stress is that having a stress uh goes into essentially the xp system of this which is a growth pool at the end Mm -hmm. so the more stressed out you got during a you know session the more likely it is that you will grow from it the other thing is you can always give in rather than participating in a direct challenge uh, in exchange for, and you can do that at any point along the line of a challenge. You can be like, all right, I've gone as far as I want to with this fight. I'm going to, I'm going to stand back and, you know, I'll, I'll let your lie work at pl- for plot purposes. Uh, if you ever say like, I give in, you also get a plot point, which you can use to purchase rerolls later on. Well, the, the way giving in works is you can give in immediately like, if someone mm-hmm. comes up to you and goes, like, hey, I need you to do whatever for me, and right. you don't want to fight it, you can just give in, and that's fine. Yes. But if you want to challenge it, this becomes a back and forth, essentially push your luck. So if I roll my dice, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to roll my, like, glory plus my relationship with Clark plus... I don't know, Luther Corp or whatever, and I want to have him do something for my corporation. Okay. Then I roll that, I take my two highest, I put it together, and let's say I get a seven. Sure. Clark, whoever is playing that, now has the option of either giving in and just saying, great, sure, I'll do that, Mm -hmm. or they say, okay, I'm going to make my own pool, and I'm going to try and convince you to do whatever. So instead, I'm going to say... All right, well, how about instead of me helping you, you do what I want you to do. And you're going to go back and forth like this. So Mm -hmm. if if you say you want to challenge it, you roll. If you get higher than the other person's roll, it's now their option to try and roll again to see if they can beat that. So if I roll a 10, now they've got to get an 11 or better. And you go until someone either gives in or takes stress because they failed. So if I want to try and beat a 10 and I roll and I get an 8... Then I'm like, well, crap, now I just take a level of stress. Yeah, yeah. Um, so effectively, there are points where it's advantageous to buy to buy out. So basically to stop it from every conflict in the game becoming a roll until someone loses. Yeah, you can spend a plot point to just go, I give in. I know I was already like going back and forth and bidding, but I don't want to take more stress. I'll pay a plot point and just say, fuck it, we're done. Yeah, so so it's uh, there are often times where it's best to just let someone win, which makes sense because that's the kind of thing that even I remember from that show is just endless scenes of of Clark barging into uh, Rosenbaum or Luthor's office, and Luthor being like, you know, you could just call, and then Clark has to be like, you did something to a high school student, and Rosenbaum's <laughs> like, whoa, phrasing, and this is going off the rails. I apologize, <laughs> but yeah, you've got. Uh basically two ways of doing it so that way is if you're in a contested one so it's you versus mm. another person there's also just tests where it's like oh you need to hit a certain threshold of number and you'll just the same way make your pool but 
in that way, you're pretty much just going like, oh, did I meet a certain threshold of number? Then I get to do whatever I was doing. So that's like, I want to leap a tall building in a single bound. Great. Roll for it and see if you do. It also has a lot of individual role post messing with for the purposes of trying to build a higher number than either the watchtower or your target. Cause there's a lot of things like, Oh, in this situation, I will choose since I am currently three points lower than the target difficulty you're setting. I will, I'll spend a resource. That's like an, uh, an ally I have in this uh, situation to roll an additional two D eight to see if I can add one of those D eights to my total pool to beat the current total goal. And, and that'll go back and forth until someone succeeds. So there's, multiple ways that you can ratchet up the tension either on an individual set of die rolls or by increasing or increasing the amount of back and forth that happens with die pools. Yeah. And plot points can be used to, you know, activate powers. Uh, so you could be like, Oh, I've got a, you know, heat vision and I can spend a plot point to just destroy an inanimate object because right. whatever, <laughs> who cares? I'm sorry that that just makes me remember that they keep using the example that Clark can use it to destroy a river. I, I be, presumably because that happened on the show. <laughs> it's just every time they're like, "Oh, if you want to use it to destroy a car, it costs this much. If you want to use it to destroy a river." And I'm like, <laughs> "Who would who would want to do that?" Oh, cuz Clark did it once, didn't he? Pretty much every example in this book is, "Hey, you could do this." And you're like, "Who would do that?" Someone on the show. <laughs> But yeah, you can use a plot point to activate powers. You can use it to get out of a situation. Uh, you can use it to add something to a scene. So if you need to get a little more backup, you could say, oh, I'm going to create a new asset or an extra or someone that's friendly or like the fact that I know this place, I'll add it into the scene and it becomes a couple D6 and you can just go, great, this is a thing that I can roll into whatever. So we're fighting in, say, the Lex Corp building. You're like, oh, I know this place in and out because I'm Lex Luthor. So I'm going to say I spend a plot point. I get 2d6 available for uh, I know the layout. Right. Yeah. Same thing with like the Watchtower for if you're Oliver Queen or. Oh, no, wait, no. Oliver gets his own building. The Watchtower is for Chloe. Yeah, uh, he gets just the queen consolidated penthouse or whatever. And yeah. uh, Chloe gets the watchtower as a wedding present from Jimmy Olsen. But then he gets killed by doomsday's human half. Yeah. But then he kills doomsday's human half. He kills him right back. Yeah, that's right. Mm hmm. I've learned a lot of things by reading about the backstories of the characters on the show. For example, I didn't even know black canary was on this, but apparently not only was she on the show, but her alter ego was a, hard right conservative talk radio person man this show was bonkers for what they did to some of the heroes and villains they turned black canary into rush limbaugh with a scream power that is a weird choice man in season 10 which this book doesn't cover uh dark side is just sort of an evil gas that infects you i was gonna say isn't he like the progenitor of the villain being just a cloud now he is uh, it's like he infects you and then Clark, if he uses his x-ray, can see an Omega symbol on your skull. It's real dumb. It's so strange that they choose Dark Side. I mean, I, I assume that they knew the 10th season was their last, which is why they chose a big bad. 
Yes. But you'd think if they were like, okay, we, we're going to keep going. We have an 11th season planned. There's plenty of apocalyptic villains who you could be like, oh, yeah, they're mind control type guys. You could have made it Glorious Godfrey. Yeah. but Or, uh, gra- or nope. Granny Goodness or any number of GG people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. I, I Honestly, I'm very surprised by how stripped down they did the, the Dark Side stuff. Because Dark Side, I'll be, I, I'll be honest, I've always found everything out of Apocalypse to be just incomprehensibly campy. <laughs> and that's, I mean, God bless them. At least they weren't like, oh, and now here's Darkseid. He's he's just some European dirtbag. <laughs> His name is like Franco Darkseid. Yeah, and he still has the all-female furies, but they're just mercenaries. Yeah. Like, God bless them. At least they didn't do that. I guess, I guess that's true. I mean, nowadays, of course, if they were going to do an apocalypse storyline on the CW shit, they'd lean in. They'd be like, fuck it. We're going to put the we're going to put apocalypse in. And he's a rock man. I mean, they did well, King yeah. Shark. Well, I was going to say they they just did fucking Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was just let's take all of our toys and mash them together. I, I didn't even get a chance to watch that. I really mean to. I understand that they put Lucifer in it from, like, his own Netflix show. Yeah, man, there's... They put the monitor and the anti-monitor in there. The Flash they've, from the movies. They've got Flash from the movies. They've got Flash from the TV show. They've got... Uh, they've got Tom Welling back. My understanding as well is that Rosenbaum was approached and said no because they weren't going to pay him enough, so they couldn't get Lex Luthor back. But honestly, I didn't even want him back as Lex Luthor. I wanted him back as Cartoon Flash. (laughs) An actual cartoon shows up in the episode, and they're like, all right, well, now we've gone too far. Well, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, they have Kevin Conroy in there as a Batman, and he's always just been a voice Batman. Well, so anyway, I, I guess it's because they weren't offering him you know, I was, <laughs> I had one line in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 money. <laughs> he did. He played that crystal guy at the very end during the post credit sequence. Oh, good. The crystal mm-hmm. guy. Remember when they were like, when Stacker at the end of that movie, like uh, Sylvester Stallone was assembling his own team of Ravagers to yeah. go ravage, I guess. <laughs> to, you know, ravage. Yeah. And every one of them is someone famous. Like, even the little talking head-shaped box computer is Miley Cyrus. Mm, mm, mm. Well, one of them was Michael Rosenbaum. I like that guy, so I tend to follow his career. I, I also very much like Rosenbaum. I'll be honest. Yeah, I would say, of all these genre show actors, he is easily my, I would say, definitely my second favorite. Mm. Uh, I am trying to remember the name of the actor who plays my favorite now, because I always oh, forget Oh, it's Grant it. Gustin. Also known as Barry Allen, the Flash. Also known as the Flash, obviously. No, it's whoever plays Snart. Oh, yeah, that guy. I don't remember his name, but he is absolutely one of my all-time favorites of the uh, of the actors who who are in this orbit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's killing me that I don't remember his name now. Anyway. Oh, Wentworth Miller. God. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, you make your character. You've got die pools. Uh, what else can we talk about on this? Because, honestly, the power selection i mean we're 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 at the point where we could happily stop and be okay oh yeah well i mean pretty much everything in this is you just go through the character selection and get your stuff but they've got a large swath of things you can get so you can be like all right i've got a whole bunch of different resources that i can use i've got a bunch of assets i can do i've got descriptions and things because depending on what your asset 
is it's a different mm-hmm. thing because it can either be like a superpower or something that's distinctive about you so you're athletic uh or right. you've got a good reputation you can also have heritages superpowers and all of them are both give you a die rating for what like how you can how many dice you get to add or what value of a single die you get to add to rolls that are relevant to it but also gradated bonus abilities that come along at d4 d8 and d12 uh, so, for example, heat vision, like John was saying earlier, the first level is like you can use it to raise everyone's insecurity in a scene. And the last version is you can use it to melt a skyscraper or a river. Uh, yeah. But also every power has associated weaknesses and associated type tags with it so that you can kind of play with those as hooks for further kind of scene complications. Uh, there's all the heritages of every single minor character who ever did one episode on the show. Oh, yeah, you can have a heritage of Kryptonian or Martian or Cybernetic or Atlantean. Or Almoracan, if you want to play as Queen Maxima. The one Almoracan that showed up for one episode and they were like, well, fuck it. It happened in the show. Put it in the book. I mean, let's be real. The one Almoracan. I don't I, I can't name another one. I don't know if maybe you can. Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, Is it that guy? The, the Prince the du- Maxima. <laughs> Yeah, Prince Prince Mixtamol. He's he's the patron pr- patron prince of that that extra ingredient you add to flour to or cornmeal to make it into tortillas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I don't remember if the Monel is Almoracan. I don't think he is. Uh, Monel is whatever the hell the sister planet was to Krypton. Notably, I can't not Almorac. No. Also, other heritages include Tamaranian, so you can play as Starfire, uh, Melmac. <laughs> uh, so you could be Alf. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be of Clan Shumway, then they have that set up for you. <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth. Like, they even have ones for characters who got weird. Like, Cybernetic is pretty much because... Because Cyborg. Know, and not just Cyborg, but also Metallo. Yeah, True. Uh, th- the book actually is like, hey, if these two ever met each other, they'd probably have some interesting things to say to each other. That could be an interesting story you could do. I mean, you could. They at least a- made Corbin in this be just sort of a reporter that got fucked up. Yeah, isn't he a hero by the end? It turns out that the only reason he was a villain is because he had like an evil chip installed. Man, uh, <laughs> I don't remember. That was that was like season eight <laughs> or some shit. <laughs> uh, man. And Atlantean for, you know, the three episodes that Arthur Curry was on. Man, they also were like, ooh, you know what? We should make a an Aquaman show with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and then they he ha- was terrible. Well, not just that, but halfway through the production of the of the uh the show, they realized he was terrible and recast. The one episode of the Aquaman show that ever happened didn't have this guy in it. Yeah, no. Man, the guy they got to be Arthur Curry in uh Smallville was just the least charismatic person. <laughs> yeah, but he looked good in a wet shirt, which ultimately, what else do you need for both Smallville and Aquaman? I was going to say, that's all the CW gives a shit about. <laughs> How do you look in a wet shirt? And Grant Gustin is like, dude, great. <laughs> My dude, like Barry Allen, the Flash. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say I look like an Oliver Queen. That dude is just jacked for days. <laughs> That's a salmon uh, ladder, dude. That's a salmon ladder. I'm more of a trout ladder. <laughs> All right, John. Do you want to get to your favorites and least favorites? Sure, man. Let's do it. What's your favorite thing in this game? 
Uh, Smallville. I fucking love Smallville. <laughs> oh, so you like the source material? Uh, no. I mean, honestly, I could say one of my favorite things is the way that this does play into making you play Smallville. It very much is aware of its source. Oh, yeah. And it could have very easily just turned into a generic you-make-a-superhero-type engine, but the fact that so much of what you do is based on, like, your relationships and, you know, how you feel at the time and what you think about a certain person and, you know, what your core values are, that I would say most of the things that are going to happen in this game aren't I go punch a supervillain, they're I show up at someone's farmhouse and I'm like, hey, I was thinking maybe did you want to like go watch the sunrise tomorrow it's true true. and then they've got to be like well either i'm gonna give in and cheat on my boyfriend or i'm gonna have to roll dice and use my own relationship against him i mean it would have been kind of neat to see what this book looked like if it came out around season two of smallville instead of season nine yeah because goddamn it goes off the rails by season four where lana gets possessed by a witch (laughs) hey don't forget when season six when chloe gets healing powers and then in season seven where she just doesn't have them anymore (laughs) god damn it smallville (laughs) i mean this book even mentions that it's like chloe's character is aware chloe's player is aware that chloe at one point had like healing superpowers but they stopped showing up a season after they were introduced anyway so she's not even gonna bother writing them down yeah, they learned nothing from Buffy, which is, hey, man, if you've got someone who's the normal person on your show, just leave them that way. Don't give them superpowers or anything. Just have them be a person. Well, I mean, I think they learned. They just learned after they did it. They needed they needed Chloe to heal Clark in a climactic season finale, and then they didn't really need that power going forward. Plus, it would have been inconvenient for her to have it. Yeah, they're like, so- oh, you're also meteor infected, and you've got healing tears Anyway, that doesn't matter anymore. God, I had forgotten they were tears. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how else are you going to heal someone? You got to cry on them real good. That's true. You got me there. You were absolutely... And, and it's true they did realize that. I don't think the show ever gave Lois any superpowers. Uh, I mean, outside of, you know, a couple one-off episodes where they did some dumb crap, yeah. But you know what? Giving su- Lois superpowers in dumb one-off crap episodes is classic DC. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hope there's an episode of Smallville where she gets her educated feet. (laughs) I was just thinking that. (laughs) You know what I was going to say. It's my favorite comic book. I know. (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm going to say my favorite thing about this game. I mentioned it earlier, but I really want to drive it home. Uh, I I appreciate that they understand that there is a place for I'm bad at this, but the fact that I'm bad at this is relevant to my character. Yes, and it's not if you, just, I have a shitty thing in this and I will never use it and it will never come up because oops. And that is a notable flaw, as far as I can tell, in the current build of the Sentinels game, is that if you end up with one of your values or powers rated at D4, you're like, oh shit, I shouldn't have made that. I'm never going to roll it and I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that it even exists. Yeah. And, and in this game, it's like, yeah, you have it. It's there so that you can be bad at things because there are times when you will want to be bad at things. And I appreciate, normally in these games, you have a binary system. You have... um. If you have one rank in drive cars, you're better at driving cars than someone with zero ranks. 
In this game, it's if you don't have any ranks in driving cars, it's because driving cars is completely irrelevant to you as a character. It's not a part of your story. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad at it at all. If you have one rank, it's because you're bad at it, but being bad at it is relevant to who you are. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're interested in it and you want to be good at it, but you aren't. Right. And it's part of your character development. Like you could leave it at D4 forever to indicate that your character is a clumsy driver and it's just a permanent function of your character. Or you could make it a growth step and raise it over time. And I I just like I said, I think it's just it's a smart way to do the idea that a character can be bad at something without having to make it leave the implication that they're literally bad at everything that's not written on their sheet. Mm hmm. So that's that's my favorite thing. What would you say is your least favorite thing about this game? Uh, okay. So I don't know if if it came across as much when we were talking about it, but this game, you know, just comparing to say the Sentinels one, has an assload more nonsense that you can roll into your pool. Normally, it would be like three dice and you pick the highest for Sentinels. This one, you end up going like, well, you're going to pick three things to put dice into, and then you can spend to get another die over here, and if this person's stressed, you can take that die. But then, of course, they have a power that can change that die, but you have a power that can change this die, and it And gets... if they change that die, it's a trigger that activates your power to change two of your dice, plus an additional die to be named later. Yeah, it gets a little complicated for a system that I feel like they started out wanting it to be fairly smooth and mm-hmm. that they're just like oh yeah you just pick a couple things and roll some dice and add them together but they they have so many little tweaks to things that it ends up getting way too complicated we didn't even mention there is a trouble pool that i was the just DM thinking about has, the trouble pool. Yeah. yeah uh where if you roll a one on any of your dice then that's a complication that happens for uh like whatever you did so even if you succeed you're like oh yeah you did what you set out to do but a complication arises uh and it just goes into the trouble pool for the dm so that they can have more dice yeah and the next time the dm would like to cause trouble for somebody which is basically when they're setting a non uh competitive challenge if you're like oh i'm chasing after the villain of the week who no one is playing they'll be like oh well then i'm gonna add dice from the trouble pool to make it more difficult yeah uh here these two d6 i'm adding in represent two thugs that attempt to stop you while you do this. And the trouble pool is unusually complicated because dice of every type can end up in there and you have to roll them by block of type of die. Yeah, so, it's it's a little complicated and that's it gets too much in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think I can agree with that. Uh, although I'm going to say my least favorite thing is just exactly how long and involved character creation is. I, I feel yeah. like... There's a point where you've been making characters for an hour and a half, and you're like, you know, we could have been playing the game. No, this is a game that enforces the sort of session zero. Like, you literally cannot play this game unless you get every player to sit around a table and come up with everyone's backstory together. Now, for some people, you're going to hear that and go, oh, that's great. I, I always want a session zero. I really want people to have these connections and that would be awesome. But there are going to be people who, you know, wants to play this game and then look at that and go, I, I can't sit there and draw like a circles and squares map for three hours and still give a shit at the end of it. That's the thing I'm running into is I feel like by the time I'm done with all the show, the show Bible shit that the, that the game starts with, 
I don't want to play anymore because I already covered all. I'm like, oh, I know what my relationship to every single person is, and I know why, and I know that not only does Lex own this coffee shop, but that he didn't get it by wishing on a magic lamp. Like, (laughs) I I know everything that uh, from the previous eight seasons, and I don't really care about season nine that much. Yeah. So and and that's that's a specific type of player, which Mm -hmm. you are. Well, I mean, I mean, it is a weakness of the game that it can't do like you can't bypass it in any way and and i mean let it be said here that i don't it's not that i'm against session zeros i mean hell i have a session zero planned for tonight mm-hmm. i i like them and they are important i feel like this one stretches a little beyond my usual limit of how long i can pay attention to what isn't a game oh yeah no it is very involved <laughs> yeah i mean and if you want to find out how involved you'll get to see what just a two-person version of this is in just a little bit because it's about time for us to go make characters but before we do that john would you play this game uh i think i would actually uh the system's not terrible and i as someone that watched too much smallville i would relish the ability to be like yes yes let me ridiculous ham it up I want to be a CW drama person. Uh, yeah, okay, that's good. And I, I, I honestly would also play this game. I mean, I have my my concerns about how the character creation process feels a little over involved. And yes, there is definitely too much fiddle at the die interaction stage. Mm-hmm. But just like you, I have a, a a special place in my heart for these soap operas with tights that are these CW superhero shows. And this one is, if not the granddaddy, at least the 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 uncle, because I'm I'm pretty sure the granddaddy of them is Lois and Clark. Yeah, uh, but but I would I mean, people are just going to name an older one. It's going to go back to the point where it's the 1930s Fleischer Superman or the Incredible Hulk or something. But <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, but I feel like if I may <laughs> and you may Lois and Clark is the first one for me that really captured the like soap opera aspect of it, because yeah. I think a lot of the other ones had more of that, like it was more of a serial than a soap opera. Yeah, for example, the old Flash is closer, more closely connected to like Briscoe County Junior or Cleopatra twenty five twenty five than to these shows. Yes, whereas uh, Lois and Clark is a soap opera. The old Incredible Hulk show, the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk. I mean, that's basically just the the littlest orphan with a coat of green paint. <laughs> the biggest green orphan. He's the biggest green orphan. He just wanders from town to town and solves problems and disappears on the wind. Yeah. And that's that's definitely the type of thing you saw beforehand, whereas something like Lois and Clark, Smallville, things like that are like, oh, you can have episodes where superpowers don't even show up. Like, they don't matter because the whole thing is about the soap opera relationships. Yeah, I think ultimately I got to say I would play this game because that's the tone they nailed. They were like, hey, this is one of them soap opera superhero shows and we know it and here it is. Yeah. You could use this engine to easily play a regular-ass soap opera. Oh, for sure. You'd just mm-hmm. be like, all right, well, you can't get any of the superpowers, but other than that, yeah, go for it. Yeah, or you can, and who cares? I mean, I'm pretty sure there was, I think Guiding Light had a superhero character on it for a short while. I mean, God knows, I watched enough Days of Our Lives at one point that I was like, oh, they had someone possessed by the devil, and they could do, like, weird floaty things. You had a witch in some soap opera who had a brought-to-life puppet as one of the characters. So if you want to do shit, you go for it. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'm fairly certain there was at least 
one episode, there was a uh, a soap opera time where Marvel Comics got involved and let a character from a soap opera have superhero powers. Uh, and then she also had her own comic for a little while. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's Guiding Light. I, I, I can't say for certain because it's not the kind of thing I would keep in my head, but I'm fairly certain that Guiding Light had a Marvel superhero connection for at least a season. That's nuts. Yep, I mean, the so. only ones I ever knew about were, I think, Passions and Days of Our Lives. I've never watched a single episode of a single one of them. I'm the, the closest I've come is like they've been on when I was in a doctor's office when I was 11. Yeah, my there was a, a summer where my mom watches those shows. And I just for some reason that summer was like, yeah, fuck it. You know, 11 <laughs> o'clock rolls around. It's Days of Our Lives time. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I had that same experience, sim or similar experience, rather, in that my mom would have to drive me to all kinds of long-range Boy Scout and kayaking events when I was a kid, and she would rigidly control the ca the car stereo so she could listen to just endless hours of Dr. Laura, <laughs> which I I'm amazed I didn't pull all my teeth out and throw them at her. Yep. Dr. Laura is wrong about everything and is a horrible, horrible person, and uh, I think with that, we'll call it a day. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you want to find out about that bonus content where we're going to try and build characters using this engine, uh, you can do that by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash system mastery. And all you have to do is support us at the $1 level. A dollar. I mean, that's the, if that, for that much money, you could get like two extra episodes of bonus content out of S a month, or you could get your dick slapped once. <laughs> once. Just one, one dick, dick slap. I mean, I know you can get three dick slaps for two, but but if you only have a dollar, why not spend it on our bonus content? It's a way better deal. Yeah, I mean, every value menu out there now used to be a dollar menu, and now it's like a buck seventy-five. But we're still giving out content for a buck. Yeah, that's that's we're better than Jack in the Box. I guarantee it. I guarantee. <laughs> Uh, so that's patreon.com slash system mastery at the $1 level. We'll unlock this bonus content. There are other levels available. There's two and $5 levels that, that unlock additional content. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the bonus content. And until such time as we do another one of these episodes, you have a good week. Mm -hmm.